episode 53 of the Making Disciples podcast, where our mission here is to pour into one another to make disciples who go out and make disciples of all nations. Uh, this is going to be our last First John episode. It's going to be in chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. And guys, I just want to say how amazing it is and how wonderful of an opportunity it has been to walk through First John with you guys. Hopefully, that these to- hopefully these topics were pertinent to you. Uh, they pierced your heart and have transformed your walk with Jesus. Um, this is going to be, you know, our second um, curriculum that we've gone through. We did the parables of Jesus, and now we did First John. And I can't wait. I'm not going to spoil anything right now about what our next curriculum is going to be. But I will share that in the next episode or the episode after. I think I might have a filler episode. Um, I haven't decided that quite yet. But a few questions I want to ask you before I dive into today's passage. Number one is, do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe that God is sovereign and that he hears his children? And then number two, who do you think God is? Do you imagine him to be a man who's sitting on a throne in the clouds commanding you to do this or that and has no relationship with you? Or do you know his true character, a loving God who seeks an intimate relationship with his creation? Christ came so that we may know him. He did not come so that he would die on the cross and because if he did die on the cross and yet he seeks to have no relationship with us, then it was pointless. The, the point, the purpose of his death, burial, and resurrection was that we may be reconciled to the Father through the Son, that we may have eternal life with the Father, because without the perfect sacrifice, the sinless, spotless Lamb, we would have no chance of having resurrection. Jesus Christ gave us life after death so that we may spend eternity with him, so that we may be forgiven of our sins, cleansed of all unrighteousness. So like I said, today we're going to be in chapter 5, 13 through 21, and we're going to be touching up on many different topics, but I got four points for us to go through on the character of the person that has trusted in Christ. So starting in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we are asking anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So, as we wrap up First John, I see it influential that we remember why John wrote the epistle in the first place. And he says it in the beginning of this epistle. He expresses in the beginning that it is the communication of joy in fellowship with the brotherhood, the knowledge and confidence in eternal life, and the perseverance of their faith. And this letter was directed to those who are in Christ. It's very important to remember that, especially when we read in verse 16, 
about praying for brothers' sins and then do not praying for the sins that lead to death. So it's very important to realize the context of who he's writing to in this epistle. He's writing to the ones that believe on the Son of God, who trust in him for everything, who know him, who know the Father as Father, who know the Son as friend, as Savior, and know the Holy Spirit as comforter, the one who dwells in us. So he says in verse 13, he is writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. And this word belief is pistuyo, for the Greek pistuyo, and it means to have faith in. It's not mere acknowledging of the existence of God, for the devil and his angels believe in God, believe that God is one, and they tremble. So you are right to believe that God is one. It's surrender to, submission to, understanding that you're not the God of the universe, you're not the God of your life, but you were created with a purpose to serve the God of the universe, to serve the God who created you. So have faith in him who delivers you who gave you life after death, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may have assurance, that you may be confident in your eternal life. If you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you can. He lays it out here in 1 John. makes it very clear. Me and my buddy, had a brother of mine, had the opportunity to disciple, I would say, also minister, um, to a lady in a taxico or Texaco, uh, gas station. Um, me and him, we pulled over because we were listening to a worship song, and I asked him to pull over because I just wanted you know, our heart, mind, soul, and strength to be focused completely and utterly on our Savior. And then both of us just got this desire, hey, we want to minister. And you know that desire does not, is not from the flesh. That's the Holy Spirit calling on us, hey, someone needs ministering to. So we both, we go into the Texaco, and we start ministering to the cashier. We asked her if she knew her Savior, uh, if she knew Jesus Christ, and she said yes. And then I asked her the question, are you confident in where you'll spend eternity? And she said no. I found out that she wasn't in a church. She didn't have an active prayer life. Um, she d- doesn't read her Bible often. And to sum it up, just got the opportunity that the Holy Spirit spoke through both of us. And you got to see the fruit produced immediately. Like she took it with joy and I convinced her, not convinced, but I motivated her to go home after her shift and read First John. That tells her how she could be confident in, he, in her eternity, be confident in her faith, how to know to love God, you know, to keep his commandments and love his children, and how to overcome the world. And she took it with joy and, uh, you know, been praying for her constantly. But she knew that she could have confidence, but she didn't. So if you don't have confidence in your eternity, in your faith, have it now. If you feel convicted of your sin, of the life that you are living, and you have a desire to serve God, don't be like a Pharisee and focus on how many laws you can keep, 316, and think that you're righteous that way because you're not. The only thing that makes you righteous is the blood of Christ. You're saved by grace through faith alone that no man should boast. If you boast in anything, boast that you know God, that you know Christ, that you, that you have accepted salvation through his blood, through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
So today, be confident in where you will spend eternity. Be confident in your faith. So like I said earlier, we have four points that highlight the life of the disciple of Christ. And point number one is confidence. The life of the believer who has an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is confident. They have confidence towards God. They have boldness. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we can be confident that our Savior hears the cries of his little children if we ask according to his will. So how are you praying? Are you praying in your carnal mind, in your fleshly self, or are you allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you? Scripture makes it very clear that there is a prayer that is an, that is acceptable to God and a prayer that is not acceptable. If you are praying in the flesh, that's not acceptable. You must pray in spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you. Here recently, I've, I've made it a um, goal of mine that in my prayers, I pray that God, let your Holy Spirit pray through me and let this prayer be holy and acceptable and pleasing in your eyes. Don't, don't let me pray uh, for selfishness for to gratify my desires, but let me pray that your will be done and, and start off every prayer by glorifying him, speaking about his majesty, how good he is, how good of a father, how good of a savior, how good of a friend, and how good of a comforter our Lord is. So if you are praying from a self-seeking heart and your will, he will not hear you. Proverbs 10, 24, what the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. So he hears us. God wants his will to be done, obviously. So pray from a desire for God's will to be done. God knows the desires of his children. And he is faithful to give us what our heart desires if it aligns with his will. So pray that God give you a desire to seek his will, not seek your carnal mind, not seek your carnal desires, your lusts, your gratifications, your covetousness. Do not pray and do not seek that, but seek God's will. And all of these things will be added unto you. So point number two is the child knows Yahweh as father. And because the child knows Yahweh as father, God grants petitions to his will. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him if in alliance with his will. John 16, 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So, in your prayer, God grants petitions to his will. So, let your requests be in Christ's name. Our joy is full when God's will is done, if you are truly saved. You no longer seek to please your fleshly desires, please yourself, but you seek to please the Most High God, to please the one who gave his life for you, to please the one that is deserving of your service, of your submission. That's where our joy is found, in knowing that we are being led by the Good Shepherd, by the one that we can trust. The righteous seek his will. And our flesh is not righteous. We are only made righteous by his blood, by the work that the Holy Spirit is doing on our life, by God conforming us to the image of his son every single day. That is what makes us righteous. Point number three is the believer prays for the saints. 
we must remember the context here in 1 John. He is writing to the brotherhood of Christ, those who are in Christ already. He's not writing to those who have rejected Christ. He's writing to those who have accepted Christ, those who have dedicated all to the following of Jesus. So the sins that do not lead unto death are those of whom are in Christ. We still fall short. We are not perfect, and we will not be until the day of the Lord. The sins that do not lead unto death are we who are saved and still fall short. So John tells us that we should pray for our brothers who are in Christ, that we pray for their shortcomings, that they may be forgiven and that life may be given to them. So what is John talking about when he says sin that leads to death? He's talking about the sins of those who are in complete rebellion towards God. The death here is referenced to eternal death, Mark 3.29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So those that deny God, that deny the Father, that deny the Son, and deny the Holy Spirit commit the unforgivable sin. So we pray for the forgiveness of the sins of those who are saved. Those that deny Christ, we should not pray for their forgiveness. So to clarify, don't get me wrong, we should pray for everybody. We should pray that all come to repentance and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we pray for the forgiveness of those who are saved. Rebellious people have a free will to do such sins, and God will not force a rebellious people into being servants. He respects himself enough because he created us with free will to allow us to deny him, to allow us to flee from him. He's not going to force you to obey him. That's not love. We do pray, however, that the Holy Spirit work in the sinner's life. God is going to continue to pour into that person, to have people come up and minister to them, to bring the gospel to them, but it's their choice to accept or reject. So we do not pray for their sins yet. We pray that God save them. Point number four of the life of the believer is that we no longer sin. Those who are born of God do not keep on sinning. We have victory over sin in Christ Jesus. The victory is ours through Christ's redemptive work. So if you have not been transformed or renewed, if you are not seeking to keep our Lord's commandments, then you are not saved. How now shall you live? You shall live holy, righteous, only by the work that Christ is doing. You can't do it on your own, but you should not live in flesh, but you should live in the spirit. Put to death the flesh. Now, today, find yourself doing the things that you want to do and find yourself not doing the things that you don't want to do. There's a constant battle in the life of the believer, flesh against spirit. It's going to continue to happen until the day of the Lord, until Christ's return. But God gave us victory through his redemptive work. So I ask you, right now, do you still have a desire to sin? Do you still have a desire to serve yourself, to be your own God, to be in control? If the answer is yes, you're not truly saved. Like I said, there's this constant battle going on between our spirit and our flesh. But if you do not see a battle at all, and all you see is this, I want to say, comfort from sinning, this comfortability from sinning, and no desire to change, then you're not truly saved. 
we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So we who believe belong to God and therefore are protected by him. Satan can only operate within the bounds that God has given to him. God places definite limits on his power. So the world lies in the hands of the evil one, the prince of the power of the air. Those who are not being led by God are being led by someone, and that someone is Satan. The world follows lies and seeks things that they have been drawn to believe will satisfy them. But we follow him who is true, who is without deceit, who truly does fulfill our every desire, who fulfills the one desire that we need, and that is a relationship with the God of the universe because we all seek to serve something, serve someone. So what are you serving? Whether you realize it or not, you're serving something. Money, sex, power. Those are all the things that will never bring fulfillment. The things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life brings you nothing, brings you depression and heartbreak. But the serving of God brings fulfillment, peace, joy, happiness. He is the true God and the eternal life. So keep yourselves away from the lifestyle of the world. The worldly lifestyle is in out-and-out out rebellion towards God, and the only thing that it leads to is eternal death, eternal separation from his goodness and his love. So flee from idols, not necessarily talking about made-up gods, although if you are, flee from that, cease. But I'm talking about anything that you put before God, anything that you run to in times of need other than God. Money, sex, power, possessions, so forth and so on. God alone is enough. God is all you need. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our light. He is our rock. He is love, and he is our Savior. So no longer be associated with the world, but be in the family of Christ, in the congregation, in the bride of Christ. No longer be spiritually lazy. Instead, adhere to new life Jesus commanded us to live. Be transformed and know what it means to be a disciple of Christ. These four points. Know how the lifestyle of the believer should be. Do not keep on sinning. Trust that the Father hears the cries of his children if you are praying correctly, right? You can have confidence in your eternity. You can have boldness. You can have peace. You can have joy. So do it today if you don't. And if you do, spread this message to those who don't. I really did enjoy walking through First John with you guys. This is easily my favorite book of the Bible, and I'm very grateful for every last one of you for sticking with me all the way through it, but I can't wait to share what's next. This is going to wrap up episode 53. Uh, the next one, I, I do have an idea of what we're going to be doing. It's going to be probably a five-lesson series, um, but before then, I think I might put in a filler episode uh, just so I can go ahead and prepare on the curriculum for the other ones, but I can't wait to see you guys in episode 54. God bless.